Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of our Southridge member podcast, what we call Finding Our Way. Uh, this week I get to hang out with a good friend and teammate of mine, our shelter director, Annie Froze. Annie, say hi to everybody. Uh, a lot of people probably don't have the opportunity to know you yet, and so if you could just give us a bit of an entry background to your background, family background, that kind of stuff, that'd be great. Sure, yeah. So I am, uh, let's see, I'm at our Glenridge location primarily. Uh, my husband is John, and we have a toddler named Lucas and another one uh, coming in June. So that's our family dynamic. We've been uh, around Southridge for, I guess, about 15 years. Uh, and I've been on staff for the last 10. On staff for the last 10. Now, how old were you, Annie, when you started <laughs> on staff? Just to out your age here. I was 21. 21. Yeah. A young pup. Yeah, it was a real, <laughs> almost a generational transfer back then. Oh, dear. Uh, any any funny stories of back in the day as a 21-year-old starting out on staff here? Oh, my goodness. I remember. There are so many. I remember uh, going home and telling my parents what I was doing at the shelter and both of them being massively uncomfortable with the idea of just want to get to know people and it's okay. They would never hurt me. And they would, um, um, actually my first volunteering job was my older sister and I, uh, sat outside of the, the men's showers and had people had to like check off their name after they showered. Cause the rule was they had to shower every day. And so we sat on little folding chairs with a clipboard and I was 18 at the time, uh, yeah, <laughs> we, we've we've improved from there. We don't do those things yeah, anymore. Yeah, we've we've improved from that era, and uh, you've had a few different roles around here in the shelter. Uh, give us a bit of a picture of what your job looks like now today as the shelter director out of our St. Catharines location. So, there's a couple components to my job. Um, I would say a big part of it is being present and available in leading our our team. Anyone who works on the floor of the shelter. So. We have uh, resident service managers and resident services supports, uh, which makes up about 15 people. In addition to that, uh, a big part of my job is our relationship with the region. So uh, there's always something new and exciting going on there, uh, some relationships to navigate, and that ends up being a big part of my time as well. And then, uh, yeah, sit on the leadership team and I get to represent a little bit of Glenridge to that team. Yeah, we got to the place a few years ago where we felt like the the ministry that is the shelter and just the scale of it, the number of staff that are supervised by it, the prominence it has even in the community or whatever, and just how synonymous it is with with our church in a lot of ways, especially our St. Catherine's location, that that required a seat around that senior leadership team table. So we've been working closely for the last number of years, and certainly you bring a, a huge value to our team. And we will once again temporarily miss you when you go on mat leave in June. So we're going we're gonna to have some conversation before that happens. Um, like we've already talked about, and it's kind of assumed uh, among our people at this point that, especially among our members, that we run a 24-7, 365 uh, day a year homeless shelter out of our church building in our St. Catharines location. It's synonymous now with our anchor cause of homelessness here in St. Catharines. Uh, can you just walk us through a little more detail of what running an emergency shelter and all that entails uh, looks like? Sure. So the shelter at our Glenridge location is a 55-bed shelter. Uh, so we have 45 beds for men and 10 beds for women. That makes us the largest single shelter in the region. Um, and then in addition to uh, to having beds for that many people, we also serve three meals a day. 
We're open 24-7 and staffed around the clock. Uh, we have coaches who basically serve as system navigators to make sure that whoever's staying with us at any given time can access the various services that are available for that person. Um, in addition to all of that, we uh, we have some housing first uh, positions as well to help people once they've moved out from here and still would be connected to the shelter. Uh, all of that is propelled, I would say, by a team of volunteers who are massively vibrant and really staff um, the front desk, the preparation and cleanup of meals. They really drive our programs and all of that. So, I mean, even speaking about programs, in addition to running a shelter, we have a pretty active community um, through the shelter. So really encouraging people to uh, to engage in more than just beds and meals while they're here. Yeah, yeah. If you're trying to understand this as a member, I would say there are kind of three buckets to our shelter ministry. There's what we would call the floor and just the, the serving of what's known as the emergency hostel. Uh, the supports, which you're alluding to, things like coaches, system navigators, housing first. Those are terms I'm going to want to dig into a little bit mm-hmm. later. Uh, and then there's the community life. All of the social activities and you know recreational things that people can do, retreats, Christmas parties, things like that, uh, to be part of the community. And and really, those three buckets together kind of entail this massive entity that is the shelter ministry, what you and I would often refer to just as the shelter. It's kind mm-hmm. of those three buckets uh, all in one. Uh, and he made the comment earlier that it's a 55-bed shelter. That hasn't always been the case. Recently, we've seen some renovation that's allowed some expansion. Can you just walk us through the last couple years of the growth of the shelter? Yes, absolutely. It's been uh, it's actually been a very exciting story to be part of. Um, so I would say some of that renovation kind of talk would have started in 2015 when another service that runs out of Welland called the Hope House was closing. And so the system was faced with potentially losing the 22 beds that they had. Um, So we joined with a couple of other agencies in a collaborative approach uh, and did a proposal basically to to help mitigate some of the loss that the community would feel when the Hope House closed. One of the things that we took on, I mean, we took on a couple of things throughout that, some housing first, etc. But one of the Um, massive impacts that that had on the shelter specifically was in taking on five additional beds for women. So we did that, um, but didn't have space for it in our current common, or sorry, in our current ladies dorm. And we had made the decision to not go back to, uh, to bunk beds because of some accessibility uh, barriers that that presented. So what that meant was that our ladies were sleeping in what had only ever been intended to be overflow last case scenario kind of space, which was our gym. So through all of that, it meant that every single night we had women sleeping on uh, on beds, but pretty close to sleeping on the gym floor. Yeah, in in a collective kind of common area, not, right. no privacy, you know, no. low, low dignity. Yeah. yeah, and it and it felt massively undignified. And yeah. for a short season, it felt like, yeah, but the greater good is that we're meeting this need. But that pretty quickly wore out, and um, we were faced with, yeah, this everyday reality that was just incongruent with who we wanted to be. It was incongruent with the kind of dignity that we wanted to provide, and uh, and so we had been. Yeah, feeling like an increasing pressure to solve this problem somehow. 
So through a generous donor and a whole, whole bunch of uh, skilled volunteers from our church members, um, we were able to do something about that uh, just last year. So we, um, we actually borrowed space from our current coaching offices and we borrowed space from uh, what was the common room at the time and we actually created another female dorm. So that had six beds and uh, it was really beautiful and was done in a way that uh, that really was responsive to the needs of those women. Yeah, so, so those who, who aren't from our St. Catharines location or haven't been around our shelter, the male dorms, mm-hmm. we have about 80% male yeah. population, that's pr- about the, the number, uh, our male dorms are down below, kind of in a basement area that used to be high school change rooms. Yes. Because our St. Catharines location used to be a, a high school. And our female dorms are on the ground floor. We had one originally, and now we've built a second one kind of around the corner that mm-hmm. was in the common area. And then we moved those coaching offices into a portion of what serves as our, our, our prayer room, really, yep. at our at our St. Catharines location. Yep. And then in addition to that, we also did some renovations to the front desk area to make it uh, both safer um, but also to make it more responsive to uh, people's needs. So uh, making it a little bit more accessible. And then through that same renovation, we actually also added some uh, yeah, some air conditioners and ventilation units that would address uh, some of the mustiness of downstairs. So to help increase the dignity of our men's space in the downstairs dorms as well. Um, so that was a massive project. It was, it was really huge and it was exciting the entire way. Um, but what we learned pretty quickly was I mean, one of the things we were excited about was that we were reclaiming our gym, right? And felt like this nail can be used again to... Yeah, there's <laughs> empty space now. Unused space. How can we use it? How many times have we had unused space around here over the years? Yeah. So um, it was only empty for a very short time. I think actually the ask came before the ladies had actually even moved out yeah, of the gym. Yeah, I think you're right. Um but in response to a growing need for shelter beds across the region, and especially going into cold weather, uh, the region had asked if we would increase in capacity by 15 beds uh, starting in November and going throughout to the end of March. Um, and because of yeah, just the series of events that led to uh, the renovation and opening up the gym space, we had capacity and we had actually the space And we didn't even have that before. So an unintended consequence of solving uh, the ladies' dorm was all of a sudden having space available to be able to respond to a different need. So we moved the common room from what had typically been the common room over to the gym and created that space to be now a third men's dorm for 15 beds. Yeah, super cool to watch the, the willingness to accommodate greater capacity then lead to the fighting for a greater degree of dignity that mm-hmm. creates space that then opens us up for greater capacity. And it's kind of one thing has led to another. And now uh, we're, we're in a lot of ways a very different shelter than we were two years ago. Uh, comment on all of this. I'm not sure where this is going to fit well, so I'll just ask it to ask it. Can you just give us a little bit of a description on the economic model of all of this? Because some people live in the mentality that the government funds all of this mm. or the church. I've heard people uh, feel like the church makes money off the shelter. Right. Can, can you just describe how this whole thing is funded? Right. You know, Especially when you're talking about, oh, a donor allowed us to do this and expand this capacity. How yep. does the money side of this work? Sure. So we are in partnership with the Niagara region. Uh, so we are contracted for hostel beds. The region allocates provincial dollars for homelessness and they allocate those into four priorities. So where we fit in that is under emergency shelter. Uh, so our funding comes 
through through I guess that bucket, um, the funding that we receive is about half, maybe just slightly over half, what it actually costs to run the shelter every year. So we then. Um, through a couple of different sources, we've applied and tried to be proactive in diversifying some of our funding streams. So we have a foundation that funds a little bit of our coaching, for example. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the church community, so all of you listeners, uh, contribute about $260,000 a year, um, which in part is uh, is captured through things like occupancy costs and the cost of the the actual building that we're in, uh, but also a big part of that is uh, is the community life. What we bolster through staff positions, whose time is freed up to really engage our community and to uh, to really foster that kind of programs and events and uh, discipleship of individuals. All of that is covered by the church. That's considered. Uh, more of the specific ministry uh, rather than the hostel. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would want our members to kind of draw two conclusions about this. First of all, that the operation of our shelter ministry, what we kind of engulfed by those three buckets we described earlier, it's kind of a 50-50-ish split or better said, a partnership mm-hmm. between us and the government and some other uh, supportive agencies. So, you know, we've got skin in the game from a financial perspective, but it also, what it also means is that we're able to be more than just an emergency hostel yeah. and, and we're allowed to offer in a lot of ways, those three buckets are like you described the third bucket of the community life that really helps to be a bit of a, a deal breaker. And we're going to talk about that uh, in the future as well. Um, Final question, just to orient us to this whole emergency shelter world. Um, even from the early days when we got into it, uh, the, the mayor of St. Catharines had approached us and asked us to help alleviate a need and help serve the issue of homelessness. What you see out there these days, Annie, what is the condition of homelessness in Niagara? Where are things going? What, what's the kind of state of the union in that regard? Yeah, um, I mean, it's interesting. I think some of this comes up because of how often we're seeing it in the in the media right now. Um, and I think, I mean, if I were only reading uh, articles and not actually engaged in uh, the whole system, I would probably believe that uh, the state of homelessness is a massive crisis right now, that the system is fragmented and adversarial. I would probably... Um, I would probably take from that that no agency is doing enough or even their part and that it's not led. And I would say um, that's probably that, well, that is an incomplete picture. I mean, there are certainly areas that we can improve on and are really eager to improve. But at the end of the day, we are part of a system of services that work together quite well. There's 23 agencies that are funded to form this spectrum of services, everything from shelters to prevention to homelessness, outreach services, transitional housing, um, all kind of supported through health agencies. And that creates a system uh, that works together to make sure that we're meeting the needs of the person who needs to who needs their needs met in a way that uh, that allows that person to move forward and to thrive. I would say um, I mean, across the board, in our experiences, we uh, we have great relationships with our community partners. And uh, so the, the idea that it's an adversarial system doesn't ring true. I mean, it's, uh, it's one in which we feel like we are shoulder to shoulder with a whole bunch of different agencies to meet the needs. A number of whom actually work now in part-time ways out of our building. 
Yeah, right? absolutely. Like there are a number who, who actually camp out here and use some of our space to serve alongside with us in that partnership. Yep. So you see it. I see it in the hallways, you know, at lunch breaks and stuff like yep. every week. Every single day there's, there is at least one other organization that's working out of our building all to reduce the barriers of for the people who need to access services. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that in that kind of menu of services, the the twenty three agencies that you described, in addition to the facility that provides kind of the the space and the capacity and the kitchen accessibility and whatever to run a shelter to run a hostel, what is the piece that a church can uniquely contribute in that spectrum? Hmm. Well, I think uh, there's probably a couple of different ways that I would answer that, but I think what stands out more than anything else is that uh, that as a church, we have, as a church community, I would say, we have the ability to engage uh, with people, right? We don't have to be caught up in what strategy the provincial or federal government is saying is best for homelessness at any given time, we instead can actually get to know people. And I think at a really basic level, what people need is uh, is to feel deeply known and to feel unconditionally accepted. And uh, And so when you open up people's space for a relationship, and that's why, I mean, we have a tagline around here that friendship is what makes the difference for people. We would believe that uh, for the person who's staying in our shelter right now, uh, that their situation is not all that different from the challenges that any of us would experience in our life. The difference is that person had to go through that without a healthy sense of community, um, without even that one person to be a sounding board and a real friend throughout really difficult times. And so when I think about, I mean, even in my own life and uh, would have grown up in a relatively sheltered life, um, I think about going through difficult times without having anyone to talk to or without feeling like I know where I fit in a community. I don't think that many of us are all that far away from, uh, yeah, from experiencing something similar to the, the, yeah, that, that stat, that state of that condition of life. I, I, I want to jump in here because this, this of anything in the last, you know, 12, 15 years, this has been the aha for me, is mm-hmm. realizing at some level why people are homeless and what supports them the best, or at least the significant role the church can play. Um, you know, in my naivety and frankly ignorance back in the day, I would have I would have wondered how people in a first world population like ours could even be homeless. There are so many supports, there's so many agencies and so many government taxpayer dollars being invested into supporting an issue like this, why is there still such a chronic need? As we got into it, I learned that, you know, the the bottleneck really isn't the availability of these supports. And the bottleneck isn't the quality, and you talked about this earlier, the quality or the effectiveness of what these supports provide. They actually work, contrary to what you might read in the media. It, it it's actually that people don't have the capacity in their homelessness, in their isolation, in their mental health, their addiction, the combination of all those kinds of things. They, they often lack the capacity to effectively access those supports that are effective. And so in absence of the capacity to access the supports, you don't get supported. Right. And so what, what I found early on that was just so literally life changing was the power of a friend. 
and, and the power that a friend can provide in making that difference, not just to help them belong and have identity and know that they're loved, which is, I don't want to underappreciate that, right. but literally to provide the practical support to thread the needle through the other supports, the ride to the medical clinic, the help with literacy to fill out forms, right? The 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 help moving if you're going to get a place and to even find a place or mm-hmm. apply for a place or things like that. There's so many practical things that I've seen over the years, friends have been able to provide. And when you think about a church, you know, I used to think, what role could a church play? Because we don't possess a whole lot of the technical support skills, right? We're just a bunch of people that want to love Jesus and want to love other people with Christ's love. But then I awakened to the fact that the primary need is actually the friend to thread the needle through those other supports. And the one thing that we can offer is the love of Christ with skin on in the form of friendship. Absolutely. And so the power of this has just been so extraordinary. And I hope our members can not only track around the the power of this in our anchor cause in our St. Catherine's location, but in the way our anchor causes work, the power that friendship can provide to a marginalized person. And frankly, the way that friendship fundamentally can unmarginalize a person because marginalization is such a relational uh, status. It's such a relational term that, that in all cases now we say, as you've said, that friendship makes the difference. Friendship really is the thing that the church can most offer and friendship in a lot of ways makes the most significant difference along the way. So want to dig into that a a little bit more because certainly this has been the, the, the big learning for me and us. Um, can you talk about even in your own life, how you discovered that in your experience at the shelter? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can I can still think of uh, the the first person who I met through the shelter who I would consider um, a friend and not someone who I thought I was coming to help. Uh, her name was Christine, and uh, she passed away a couple of years ago. Um, but I think about so many components of that friendship for us. It was uh, I think at the beginning I would have felt a little bit taken off guard, even by what that friendship was supposed to look like, or was kind of caught up in the supposed to's, or what is the best way to do this and wanted to make sure I was doing it right. And at the end of the day, um, one of the phrases that really helped me was someone who had said to me, but you don't have to go and do something different. Invite this person into your life. And so some of the things that, that shifted around that for me is we didn't have to have a scheduled plan for every time we were together, sitting down for a coffee or she loved Harvey's, like sitting down for a meal together was actually all that it took. Mm. Um, This is someone who I didn't have the expertise to be able to respond to some of the crisis that she was in at various times. Um, But what I was able to do was to actually, uh, to be the person who she was willing to talk to, right? And I could point her to experts and I could sit with her at the hospital and I could sit with her as she made phone calls to treatment. Um, I didn't even have to do all of that much for her. It wasn't that kind of situation. It was invite her into your life and allow yourself to know her and allow yourself to be known by her. Uh, and that changed everything for me to the point where I, that was the first time that I had actually uh, done a eulogy at a funeral, but mm. she was, she was a very good friend of mine and you know what? I miss her. Yeah. It's a great, great, great statement that you, you actually don't have to do that much for. Absolutely. You have to be with 
Yeah. Right. That's what we're actually talking about when we're talking about friendship making the difference. And you can think about in your in your own life, Annie, uh, Becky and I have experienced this. I've seen it with my parents, my in-laws, mm-hmm. you know, so many others around here. Um, how do these kind of friendships get fostered? How, if, if, if you think, you know what? I'm a person that could offer that. I yep. could be a person that be, you know, bees with people. Um, <laughs> where where would I even start? How, how does this, how, where's the spark? How, how yeah. does that get fostered? And I, th- I mean, I think it's a great question because the idea of it can feel massively uncomfortable or even awkward. Um, at the end of the day, what our, our bullseye is that friendships are organic and authentic. If there's anything that I've learned from, I would say, across the board, that our friends who we have through the shelter are massively intuitive. So they're not looking for the person who is spending token time or um, who feels really awkward but is willing to have a conversation. They're looking for people who genuinely are interested in who they are. Um, so if we're looking for authentic and, uh, and organic friendships forming, the way that we've chosen to do that is by creating a space that's really fertile for that. Uh, so we often talk about things like our programs or various volunteer roles, things like barbecues in the summer, as being the playground for friendships to happen. One of the reasons for that is because, you know, the, the idea of sitting down and having a meal beside someone Uh, in a table environment is a lot less awkward than picking someone up and bringing them to a place where it's just the two of you at Wendy's, um, kind of tasked with the idea of talking about each other, talking to get to know one another. Uh, Some of our most beautiful friendships have come through the various recreation programs that we offer. You know, so friendship develops as um, as you're participating in an activity together that you both really enjoy. And it, it really quickly illuminates what common ground is, right? We have people who come in and watch a hockey game uh, in the common room because if you're cheering for the same team, it doesn't really matter as much that you might have uh, differences in experiences. At the end of the day, what comes out is you both love Toronto and you feel like they're going all the way this year. Yeah. And, uh, or, I mean, you can even be bonded over how much you hate Boston. Like those kind of things just... Or Washington. Right. Or, or, <laughs> John would never be okay with that comment. Um, and his husband's a Washington fan. We'll all forgive Hardcore. Um, but those are the common ground kind of pieces. And it takes away some of the awkwardness. So in our strategy, it has been about creating spaces. And we use the language of the playground for community. Yeah. yeah. This is why, gang, this is why our shelter ministry has that third bucket, not just the emergency shelter stuff and then the coaching and the supports to move people beyond and support them beyond the place of homelessness in the shelter, but this whole community life umbrella. Because the community life umbrella is the gift that creates the playgrounds where these friendships can spawn, like you said, authentically and organically. And I hope that our members, especially those in our St. Catharines location, are appreciating, like, this doesn't happen through a adopt a friend days or, you know, join a friend group, kind of like we have with life groups, but it, it, it's it's not nearly that formal. It, it literally is social activity, rock climbing, you know, volleyball nights. Yeah, uh, I remember our kids really having a good time with, with the uh, Cosm hockey when we used oh, to yes. play, you know, we used to play ball hockey in the, in the gym and, until they got injured repeatedly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the barbecues, the retreats, the Thanksgiving dinners, the Christmas dinners, the Euchre nights, you know, TV nights, movie nights and things like that. You know, so many of those. And, and, and frankly, we want to see more and more of that develop because it's simply engaging in those social activities that the B being with can start yeah. knowing that the being with is actually the gift that you're going to be able to give 
long term. And it's so natural. I mean, if you think about where you meet some of your closest friends, probably in school or what started as a colleague friendship that's developed into this cool friendship or, you know, um, the number of shared experiences you have with your friends. And so those begin to layer on top of one another and create this level of comfort because you don't worry about what you're going to talk about. You talk about what you you have in common and what you know and, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just so that we're clear on this too, in the in the tagline, friendship makes the difference, we're not just talking about making the difference in them, meaning oh, the other. Talk about this underlying value that we have embraced really from the get-go. We started to see this as we were becoming a shelter and it really drove us to to want to become a shelter for this playground because of what it offers us as church members as well. So yep. talk about the reciprocity value. Yeah, I would say uh, for myself, when I think to my friendship with Christine, um, one of the things that was refreshing and when I didn't know I needed something refreshing was that her vulnerability really gave me license to do the same. And all of a sudden, you're kind of face to face with the fact that this person is eager to get to know you. This person is trusting you with parts of their story. And uh, and when I say it was refreshing, it was probably because I didn't have a lot of other friendships that were that were willing to be that vulnerable. Um, yeah, I mean, we at the end of the day, we've we've talked a lot about how when you're engaging with someone, and especially when you're engaging with someone in a way where you care about the both the highs and the lows, but this person maybe is in a disproportionate amount of of crisis. You are coming face to face with the way that God deeply loves who they are. And and that almost serves as a mirror in some ways, right? We we praise a God who loves us as his kids. And that is not contingent on stage of life or the quality of decisions that we've made or financial status or anything like that. It's not even contingent on how much we reciprocate that back to God. So there is something that serves as, yeah, I would use the language of a mirror, which I think is something that Greg Paul has talked about before. Yeah, you mentioned Greg Paul. I was thinking he gave this talk. We played it in a uh, and it takes a village series a few years ago. Where he talks about the gifts of the poor, mm-hmm. what you actually gain in in relationship with the with the poor and the vulnerable and the and the marginalized. And uh, it, you know, you talk about that conversation that you have with Christine. There's been so many days where I'll kind of graze around the building and run into residents and former residences, r- former residents that we've had relationship with. And even in the way that they'll ask, hey, how you doing? For me, who kind of roams around the building employed most of the time, most of the people I'm talking to have this kind of work dynamic and you're almost never sure, you know, when they're asking how you doing, are they just kind of being polite because you're the boss or whatever. The the You, you talked about then the freedom of what it gave you. It, it's amazing how their engagement in me opens up uh, wow, I'm cared for too. Kind yep. of feeling that you you only realized after. Wow, I really needed that today. I Absolutely. really I really needed to be cared about today. Yeah, and it was a resident or former resident who provided me that care that I was missing and wasn't actually going to experience in my day to day rhythm working with great people who are caring. Absolutely, so bizarre. Absolutely, we just celebrated Family Day, and uh, the one person who realized that. I mean. Uh, just before Christmas, my my mom's mom, my Oma, had passed away. And celebrating family day, the one person who thought to connect that with a potential season that's still grieving, my Oma, was a friend who I met exclusively through the shelter. Yeah, yeah. Just sensitive and in tune with what I might be feeling on a random day. Yeah, 
more than any quote unquote church person. Absolutely. It, it, it really is remarkable. And so I hope our, our members can appreciate again in our St. Catherine's location and in other locations engaging, engaging in the anchor cause in your location, what we actually mean by friendship, making a difference, not just in a marginalized person, but in your life as well. This mutuality is a pretty core, core value for us. Yeah. Final question I'd ask specific to the shelter and to the community life is if I'm listening to this and I'm being inspired by this and now want to put myself in that authentic, organic place where I could access this playground for relationship, um, what would I do? What would I show up to? Where would I find these programs? How would I know what's going on in community life? The, the simplest way I would say would be to uh, to reach out to myself or to my colleague Brad, um, who would be able to facilitate your on ramp immediately. That's probably the simplest way. Um, SouthwestShelter.ca is our website that stays up to date with program information and event information. Um, even following us on Facebook, uh, there's there are ways to to get involved. I would say uh, probably the thing that uh, that I would want to make sure that people know is that you're invited to these things. This is not a we're not striving to be an inclusive community only to limit access to people who want to be involved. So if you see that there is a barbecue coming up or you see when I mean, we're headed to Muskoka in a couple of weeks, reach out because those things are open to yeah. you. Any person is invited to participate Absolutely. in these things. Yeah. Absolutely. Any person. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, because these kinds of communications are hard to get out sometimes, I think people can assume, oh, that there's this secret handshake you need to have in order to right. be part of this. Someone's going to ask me, what's my shift yeah. that equals my ticket to this? Yeah. The, it's the, not the, like that. The shelter community life is a subculture. No, we're hoping that the, that the shelter community and the shelter community life can be synonymous with our St. Catherine's location community and its community life. And more and more, those, those communities can bleed together into one, uh, back and forth, enjoying that mutuality. So especially if you're a member listening from our St. Catherine's location, be challenged and encouraged in that way. Uh, next move, Annie, I want to kind of look ahead to the future a little bit. And uh, we're a couple weeks away from celebrating the anniversary of our shelter. So you can talk about the oh. story back April 1st of <laughs> 2005. What, what, yeah, 2005. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 14 years in. 14 years in. Um, who have we become in the, you talked about these 23 agencies, who have we become in this community of agencies that are serving homelessness in Niagara? Yeah, I think we've become a place that represents hope for people. I, I think uh, one of the taglines that we've challenged one another with as a staff quite often is that we never want to fall into the trap of believing that blank is good enough for X person or group of people. You know, we never want to be stuck in that idea that this undignified bed on our gym floor is good enough because the alternative is that much worse. We actually want to be holding ourselves to a standard that's higher than that. And I am really proud of the services that we can offer to someone and the kind of community that we can be for someone, because I think that it's a community that above all strives to know someone and value that person. So I think that we have developed that reputation uh, in our community. We, uh, When I was asking uh, actually one of our region uh, partnership representatives how our reputation has changed in the last several years, and she would say uh, our reputation maybe used to be uh, like strict. Uh, now our reputation is strict but kind. And 
maybe that sounds like a really marginal improvement, but I think that actually represents the value that we have to be a community of love that fully embraces both unconditional acceptance and accountability. That is the kind of place that we are, and that's the niche that we've really carved out in our community. I think among service providers, we've also become a place uh, that really drives collaboration. And I mean, you had mentioned that in how many other agencies are working out of our building and uh, the kind of relationship and rapport that we have that allows our people to be served better than they would if we were their only contact. We have said for a long time that we're not the experts in the niche kind of expertise that's needed for mental health and addictions and financial literacy and et cetera. But what we can do is we can really drive the collaboration with other agencies that ensures that our guys are served in the best way possible. We can connect them to the experts and serve as that community that supports them along the way. Yeah, the thing I see in what you're describing, the word I would use is holistic support. You know, as a church, especially given that third bucket of community life that we can offer, we actually can offer a much more holistic support to a resident and to a, a former resident, sure. right? Especially in the friendship that makes a difference. We've talked about that uh, pretty thoroughly today. But in addition to the holistic support that we can provide, like you said, we've we've now kind of got the street cred and the relationships to be a broker of so many of these other supports. And so complementing the holistic kind of support that we can provide directly there's the brokering of all of these other supports that we can help facilitate so there's this huge comprehensive web of supports that just wrap around our residents and wrap around former residents in a way that I don't think you see anywhere else in the world of the, the, the homeless serving agencies across Niagara sure and within that I think because they're they're relationships that we are uh, cultivating with people. We can be confident that that person who's meeting with the expert in uh, mental health or in addictions or in physical health is actually being served by someone who is going to uh, to value that person, and they're going to experience even a both a level of expertise in what is necessary to address the need, but also in a way that is kind and compassionate to that person. I mean, we serve a lot of people who um, who technically can go to a walk-in clinic, but we've experienced too often that the stigma that's associated with, uh, with homelessness doesn't guarantee that that person is going to receive great care. Um, so as we can be more involved in uh, in the kind of relationships with community agencies, we know that when we're referring this person to this agency, we're referring them to the name of the person who we know and have built relationship with and trust with our people. Very cool. Very cool. The, the other thing I want to say on this is this isn't just you and I talking. Uh, there's a survey that's, I'm not sure if it'll be public by the time this podcast releases, but it's in the process of, of being made public where a consultant came and kind of audited all of the agencies and services provided the homeless in Niagara and kind of did a bit of an assessment on all of them. Talk about the kinds of things they they said or noted about Southridge Shelter in particular. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we, uh, so in this report, um, it has actually resulted in some pretty cool steps forward for us uh, because the it was massively affirming to our model, uh, both the model that, uh, 
that encourages community engagement and relationship development with an individual, um, but also encourages that uh, the person who we're serving also needs to want these things for themselves as well, right? And um, I think if we're going back a couple of years, maybe even 10 years ago, when our reputation was primarily as a strict organization, uh, that didn't, um, it was because the system didn't value the idea that there is accountability in the steps forward that a person needs to take. And that has shifted. Yeah, that so, it actually helps lift people up, right? Absolutely. It, it's it's, it's that, inspiring and demanding and challenging yes. them in that, in that way, for sure. And that people, that we want to believe the best in people. And that people want to step up the pl- up, up yeah. to the plate of what we, we believe expect. they can do better, and, absolutely. and we're inviting them into that. Absolutely, and so uh, th- this report really uh, focuses on then stage 2.0 for our system, and then ultimately um, system 3.0 coming in 2023, and uh, and uses our model as a definitely won't say as a model, but as the a shining system example. is believing yeah. that, we, that they can learn from. Uh, that what we're doing around here. Yeah, yeah, very cool. And and uh, I guess there was some conversation around our model talking about the, the opportunity that we would have in these future years to actually you know, really be involved in ending homelessness in Niagara. And, you know, when, when I heard that, that people would talk about us as being players in helping end homelessness, not just serve the homeless, yeah. it, it was certainly inspiring to me. And so it's got us, Annie, at this point... Not just trying to think small in the kind of Jeff Mannion, slow and steady faithfulness that we've been uh, encouraged in this whole year, but it's also got us dreaming big these days, especially after we were able to do that uh, expansion of the second female dorm and uh, open up space for this expanded capacity. Can you just talk a little bit about some of the big future dreams that we have for the shelter around here in St. Catharines? Yes, I would love to. We're talking about, uh, we're ta- really what we're talking about is a different model of serving people, uh, a model that isn't fragmented and sends people out, but actually can respond to uh, to the needs that someone presents with and then can connect to the experts, can wrap around that individual in ways that uh, right now uh, the system is a little bit too fragmented to really wrap around someone. Uh, we believe that based on our uh, experiences and history of being a collaborative force within the system, uh, that we're really uniquely placed uh, with the kind of relationships that that are required, the pre-existing relationships that are, are required to model that going onward. And so we would see this kind of center where someone can come and know that uh, regardless of what niche kind of support that they need, that they can come somewhere and be fully met where they are, served with dignity, be connected to the services that are available, be connected to a healthy community that's going to support and walk alongside that person. And ultimately, I mean, we would have big dreams about what it looks like to have various kinds of housing um, as next steps for that person. That are all accessible in this center. I, I don't know what we would call this. I heard the mayor refer to it as a super center the other a day. Mega center. Mega center. Like but, but, you know, when you talk about the, the holistic support that we feel like we've been able to learn to provide in a kind of combination or in collaboration with all of these other agencies and the comprehensive support, you called it wrapping around 
a, a resident, you know, if, if we were able to not just renovate our shelter facilities, but to expand into, first of all, multiple layers of housing support, mm-hmm. emergency shelter, transitional housing, low income housing, all in one kind of accessible location that also included a number of spaces for these different supplementary supports, detox and, uh, you know, uh, welfare office, education, medical, you know, job placement, all, all those kinds of things together, accessible, working in partnership with one another. I mean, what a difference that we could make if we, if we work together in that way. So that the obvious question then is what's, what's stopping us from doing that? I'm not really sure what is stopping us. I would say, (laughs) (laughs) um, I think that, uh, I mean, I think that God has been really, really active in our community uh, going on 14 years now. And I think um, there are reasons that we didn't do this 10 years ago, and there's reasons that we didn't do this five years ago, not necessarily because something was stopping us, but I would say in my own narrative of that, more because there are necessary, slow and steady, faithful steps that need to be taken to prepare us uh, in all sorts of ways. They need to prepare us in our uh, relationships with other agencies. They need to prepare us in our own vision and having having that solidified. They need to prepare us in the... Um, the effectiveness of your yeah, model. Absolutely. The in street cred the, of your partnerships. Absolutely. Yeah. All of those kind of things do take time. And I think that we've had massive impact on the community in the last 14 years. Uh, but I do think that those things have been preparing us for something new. So... I feel like we're well primed for the next step. Yeah. So as these conversations open up politically in back rooms, they're also going to open up internally in our community. And so especially if you're from our St. Catharines location, look ahead to being part of these conversations in larger ways and, and you know, in more community wide kind of ways as we discern you know, where God might be leading us as a church and as a St. Catherine's location and where he might be leading us in partnership with this whole movement to actually end homelessness and to really effectively wrap the love of Christ and his care around the homeless of Niagara. Annie, I appreciate your leadership. Uh, you are a soft-spoken tiger of a leader. <laughs> I love working with you. Uh, we'll wish you in advance all the best on your mat leave uh, you. coming up in June. But uh, in the meantime, we're celebrating this 14-year anniversary with you in a couple of weeks and really cheering you on here at our, loca- our St. Catherine's location and across our entire church. So thanks for joining us today. Gang, thanks for being here. And uh, we'll check in uh, next week again as we continue finding our way. Take care. Bye.